Mark Howard. Wayne Carey. Kanye, yep. which is basically Wayne with a K. Oh, but he no. says Kanye. Yes. So I want to now be known as Wanye. Oh. Triple M's Winter Breakfast. <laughs> Good morning and welcome Wayne. to the Winter Breakfast. Hello, Doc. How, how long ago did we record that? That was a, quite a while ago, but oh, it's no. sort of got that it's sticking just, around uh, ability it is, to it. Is it hanging around, isn't it? <laughs> Four after six on Monday morning. 11.6 degrees heading to the top of 13. Duck, we've got a very, very big show. Jason Day is currently leading in the golf, so I'll be keeping an eye on that. Wally Masua, both Aussie boys Wally. got through at Wimbledon yeah, last night. big result. Fantastic. We'll go over to the UK to see if they're going to try and get rid of this Brexit poll. Yeah, well, well plenty happening in politics. Mm. Uh, plenty, but we don't know what's exactly well, do happening, you, so Spearsy will fill us in. Well, he needs to because the terms are being thrown around like hung parliament and cross benches and all this type of stuff where it's just a bit difficult to f- uh, fathom, Duck. Absolutely. We don't know what's going on, Howie. Phil Liggett, my favourite commentator on the planet, will bring us up to date on the Tour de France. Which is hard to watch when you're doing brekkie radio. My word is. Darren Hinch is coming in, so you need to be fully across the crossbench situation well, by 8.27. I gave Hinchy uh, one of my votes. Okay. Well, you've had your you've had your sort of disagreements in the past, you and Darren, haven't you? Oh, well, there's not too many I haven't. <laughs> and Santo Chaloro will come in near the end of the show to lighten things up. Now, Duck, I came in this morning. I said this is going to be fantastic. Um, we're going to watch France v Iceland. Can you just give a quick summation of what happened in the first half? Uh, four zip. That's, uh, <laughs> so Iceland is smashing uh, them, are they? No, no, France. Right. Uh, France. So uh, would it be fair to say zip. the dream is over for our brothers in Iceland it'd where the like, capital is? It'll be, uh, it'll be the equivalent of being 25 goals down at halftime. Yeah, I think so. Soccer. Yeah, uh, and can you just fill us in how they're feeling in the capital of Iceland, which is? Um, starts with K. Ray Kavik. Yes. That's oh, it. Sorry, That's Ray. it. You, you sound a little bit rough this morning. We need to have a discuss with you about the North Melbourne uh, day. Was it a wonderful day? Was, was it everything you hoped for? Yeah, great day. Yeah, I saw Swatter at the footy on Saturday night and he was just absolutely beaming Swat and talking about the oh, people Swatter, he caught up uh, with and... There was a lot of uh, me time. Swatter got inducted into the Hall of Fame, obviously, the night before. So he, uh, and very, very well deserved. Right. And I think he said his dad was there as well. His he dad took was his there. dad Cole, along. Which Cole's is... painted a couple of houses for me. He's a painter. Is he? Yeah, great man, Cole. Yeah, fantastic. I think Nicole Gunn coming in here is like the first sort of sprouting flower after a long winter to start the spring. And that's what we are seeing now. That must be said it's a flustered flower this morning because she's raced in here. Just looking a little flustered. I am a little, a little flustered. Okay. I was hoping more like she's like the sausage, the first sausage on a sausage at a sausage sizzle on election day. Well, that's not a bad one because everyone's happy about well, that. Can you tell us what on earth is going on and who's oh, going to be our prime minister? Man, Have you got that type of information oh, or not? Man, Gosh, oh, look, who knows? I think that's the the big thing out of Saturday is who knows. Other than. It was a bit of a turn up for the books. Now, there's some confusion in the papers and around town this morning on where the seats are. You need 76 to form government. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. Um, The papers have coalition on 65, Labor on 67. Some have the coalition on 72 and Labor on 67. Right. The AEC updated its site last night at 9.15. This is where it may be the confusion starts. Labor on 71, the coalition 67. That's according to the official figures. Now, we have 3.4 million votes to be counted from tomorrow. Those are the postal, the pre-poll, the absentee, the interstate votes. So there's 3.4 million votes there. A fair few. A fair few. So traditionally, they swing towards the, um, the coalition. But all the rules could be out the door. 
Who knows? Mm. I think all the rules are out the door. We've seen that in politics with Trump, with Brexit, with what Malcolm's turned up for us this week. I think the rules are out the door. Completely and utterly. Now, there are at least six seats that are in contention that are a little bit um, undecided. And Chisholm and Dunkley, too close to call in Victoria. Chisholm held by Labor, Dunkley by the Libs. So that really is a let's watch this space because it's in, uh, in a little bit of confusion there. And we probably won't know until the end of the week. Where so we just going? roll along like a rudderless ship for a week, do we? Pretty much, yes. Okay. Pretty much, yes. Now we've got um, the next one. We've got a young boy in hospital in a critical condition after a bad crash in Warrnambool yesterday. He was driving with his mum when the car came off the road and hit a tree. Mum is in a serious condition in hospital, not life-threatening, but the little boy is in a, a bad way. Now, this sort of goes to what's happening with our road toll at the moment. It's 152. We've reached 152 for the year. We're only halfway wow. through the year compared with 135 last year. So that's 17 more. That's a pretty bad state of affairs that we're in. And we're likely to go back to the old days when we have you know, 300 for the year, which is just horrendous. How old is the young fella in the car? Five. He's just mm. a little boy of five. So, no, oh. hopefully, hopefully he'll pull through that one, the poor thing. And um, finally, Billy Slater. We love Billy Slater. He yep. is possibly the nicest guy going around. No doubt. Apart from you guys. Yep. Mm. Of course. That, that's an absolute given. Of course. Uh, yesterday in Sydney, he was on his morning jog and came across a group of homeless people. And, and rather than keep running or not make eye contact or look away, he's gone, hang on to guys. And he's run into a local supermarket. He's stocked up on bricky goods. And he's come back to them and sat down and had brekkie with them. Billy Slater did. Billy Slater did. Oh. Had brekkie with them. Had brekkie with them. What a champ. Possibly the how did anyone, thing. How did anyone find out about that? I think he he posted something on Facebook that he, oh. and, but it was very like kept it on yeah, the download. Yeah, yeah, he didn't yeah. go, hey, look what I did. But no, no. People have picked up on it and from oh, there it's gone. That's probably one of the nicest yeah, things you'll have heard to start your week. Lovely, He's a great lovely. man. Just one question before you go. Uh, I commented last week on the blue eyeshadow, which I like. Is this the same blue? Or is this slightly this is a greener green. version of the look, green? I'm doing it just for you, Howie. Yeah, I, I, what do you think, Ducky? Are you more a blue or a green? No, no, I don't mind the green. I think the green brings out your eyes it's absolutely beautifully. Making eye contact yes. with okay. you. See what I'm I doing? I like it. I Wait like until it. tomorrow. I might do something completely oh, wow. different. Something a bit zany. I might go bare. Okay. might be naked. You never know. Oh, that's something to uh, <laughs> keep everyone listening to 6am tomorrow morning. Gunners, we appreciate your time as always. Thank you. Pleasure, guys. Fox Sports doing a magnificent job of the Wimbledon coverage on their dedicated channel, including a 30-minute preview show, The Daily Serve, hosted by Wally Masur from 8pm on Fox Sports, 5.05 every night. He joins us on the line now. Wally, great to speak with you. Before we get to the Aussies, Novak Djokovic is out, ousted by Sam Querrey in one of the biggest upsets we've seen for a while. Yeah, he looked unbeatable, didn't he? I mean, mm. it was just hard to see. Uh, if someone would have told me that Sam Query was going to beat Novak, I would have had him a test. Um, but maybe we just take for granted the ability of someone like Novak to get up every day and play well. He had a really... Look, I don't want to take anything away from Sam Query. He's been a good player for a long time, but it was not the usual Novak. He really struggled. And uh, even in that fourth set tiebreak, when it looked like he was getting back on top, he basically made four unforced errors to close the match out. So maybe just a little fatigue, maybe the, the pressure of chasing the Grand Slam and everybody talking about it was a bit much, but it was un-Novak-like, but he's gone. Wally, uh, who has the biggest smile when something like this happens, when uh, you know your top seed gets knocked out? Obviously, Murray would have uh, got a big smile on his face. Federer would be the other one. Do, they, do players think like that? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. No, the, the tournament changes um, immediately. So Murray was actually on court against Australia's John Millman, and they flashed the score up on centre court, and the crowd cheered. <laughs> and uh, Murray, you know, he doesn't miss much. Murray's mum was, you know, nearly jumping out of a seat. Um, so Federer has to play, would have had to play Djokovic in the semis. But I think the big winners in this is Milos Raonic, who would have had to play Djokovic in the quarters. Look out for him. He's dangerous. And probably, well, Murray for sure, obviously, but he was on the other half of the draw. So I think those two players and Federer absolutely lit up. But it gets interesting, doesn't it? Because now Nick plays Murray. Yep. And all of a sudden, I, I think there's a whole bunch of guys that are coming into the frame. So what, uh, what's his chances against Murray? I know he hasn't got a great record against him. They're good mates. Uh, been a little bit said, uh, Murray sticking up for him in the media, and now yeah. all of a sudden they come yeah. up against one another. Wasn't that interesting because um, Murray's done that a few times, and I suppose Murray was a prodigy, and the British press really gave it to him. Um, and, you know, his, his behaviour at times was questioned when he was a youngster and his commitment. So he, he might understand some of the anxieties and pressures that Nick feels. So he's come out in support of him. The two of them get on, and I think that's actually a positive for Nick because I think Nick will respect him and he will play really hard. And I, I, I think Nick, look, he's not without a chance. But to me, who's going to play the aggressive game? Who's going to really go after the other guy? Because Murray's a counterpuncher by nature. If he wants to do that against Nick, he could be vulnerable. He, you know, Nick can do to him what he did to uh, Rafa here a couple of years ago. But if Murray goes after Nick... The opposite might be true. So it'll just be interesting to see what the mindset is. I, Murray's favourite, but Nick's not without a chance. Absolutely. Let's hear from Andy Murray when he was defending uh, Nick Kyrgios and having a crack at the journos for winding him up in the presser. When you guys try and wind him up the whole time. Every time he's in here, he's like just constantly trying to wind him up. You know, it's not really fair on him. Yeah, I think that was spot on, to be honest. I'm sure you've seen it. Um, Wally, I thought uh, they dealt with him in a pretty unprofessional manner at that stage i was uh, i do the show with adam peacock and uh, last year there was a bit of a, a blow up with against richard gasquet and adam peacock was just down in the press room getting a bunch of you know information and stats etc etc and he came up to the studio and he said uh nick's agent better word nick up because the journos uh they're all talking amongst themselves how they're going to kind of go after him and get a headline mm. so there's you know i mean the british press can be pretty brutal but that's another thing, too, I suppose. Nick has to learn how to deflect that because it's not going to go away at any stage of his career. And I think you could probably you know, take a lesson from Roger Federer and some of those other guys how to deal with it. And what about uh, Tomic? Uh, he seems to be the guy now that just sneaks along quietly. No one really talks about him. We're, we're all talking about Kyrgios, but uh, he's not without a chance. Gee, played... Re- you know, the match that he just... He just beat this guy called... Batista Agu, who you guys have probably never heard of, but he's 14 in the world, and Bernie just smashed him. He beat him up. And that is what I really like, because Bernie likes to play cat and mouse tennis, and he doesn't, he doesn't play the power card too often, but for whatever reason, maybe he just felt this guy was too fit and strong to sort of mess around with him. He, he went after him, and he just played a really big game. So I think Bernie is lucky because Vavrinka lost to Del Potro, then Del Potro lost to this um, French guy called Puy, who I don't even know that much about. I mean, he's a 30-second seed. He's a good player. But if Bernie plays just like he did in the previous round, I think he's going to win. 
Wally, we really appreciate your time. There's some massive matches coming up for the Australian men. We'll see you tonight from 8pm on Fox Sports 505. And then the coverage will continue. We appreciate your time. Uh, everything else going well for you off court there? You enjoying yourself? Sort of a bit of a... Uh... Yeah. Uh, look, I... Can I... Yeah, I'm having dinner in London. It's good. It's a great town. But, um, you know, the weather's been rubbish. And I'm just hoping that it kind of improves over the next week. Monday at Wimbledon is a great day. It's every fourth round match, men's and women's. Um, it's one of the great days in tennis, so hopefully the weather plays its part and the Aussie boys can do their thing. I think, um, you know, it'd be a great shot in the arm for Australian tennis if we can get a couple of wins. Great to speak to Wally Masur all over it as always. Absolutely. It is great to see two Aussie boys getting to the pointy end of, uh, you know, Or a, a maybe that's tournament. what we need to start focusing on rather than the negatives you know, if you said to us five years ago, we'd have two Aussie boys at this point, we'll be going you know, happy days. Well, you know I'm always glass half full. No, as am I. That's why yeah. we go okay. Yeah. The Overnight Sport. For Melbourne's cheapest cars, check the massive range of Trader Utes now. Triple M's winter breakfast. Mark Howard and Wayne Carey. Let's have a look at some of the sport that's been happening in the last 24 hours. Duck first, the year at the MCG yesterday. And Adelaide has joined the logjam of teams on 10 wins. It's incredible, really, with a gritty 22-point win over Melbourne at the MCG on Sunday on the one-year anniversary of former coach Phil Walsh's tragic death. The Crows withstood everything Melbourne threw at them to clinch their sixth victory on the trot and keep pace with the AFL's top four teams. Let's hear from Tex Walker, the Adelaide captain post-match. Thanks to Fox Footy. Yeah, look, obviously we don't get here that often, so to come over here and play some it was good footy, a bit ugly, but um, we got there in the end and um, they bring effort and they take the game on. So I thought uh, it was a bit patchy, but I thought we were able to slow them down at times um, and played in our forward half, which is good for us. Real deal, the Crows? Uh, yes. Yeah, they are. But uh, you're right. It's quite remarkable this season, isn't it? To think that we've got that oh. log jam of 10 wins. Never happened before, obviously, and it's... Uh, well, it's just great. It's great for the AFL because, and it's great for the supporters. I think generally around this time of year, and we're in July now, but you know, you, there's a lot of teams generally, you know, 15 or so that sort of go, you know what, we're no chance. That's not the case this year. It is wide open. They're one of the teams that uh, that I believe can win it. I mean, they have the firepower. Really, really quality game of footy uh, yesterday. I, I absolutely uh, loved it. I thought Melbourne played some really good footy and at times looked like they were going to, They're good to watch, aren't overrun they? Uh, the Crows. Jack Watts, uh, you know, you know, he's had his a couple of downs this year, but his consistency now is at a really good level. He was involved in everything and Jesse Hogan was good and you had Tex Walker at the other end and Eddie Betts was one that had a few opportunities, didn't pro- probably have his best game, but it was just... End-to-end stuff and corridor, corridor footy. I mean, most of the goals, you know, thirty, nearly 30 goals, I think it was, um, or more than 30 goals, were scored in the corridor. They took chances. They went back through the middle and they took the game on. It was just, um, it was great. Paul Roos obviously disappointed after the game. And once again, he pointed out that the footy club's still dealing with inconsistency. Take today and probably the Hawthorne, Sydney Bulldogs, I mean, yeah, they're just very, very good at playing for 120 minutes. We probably felt that five, ten-minute patch in the third was the difference. But, uh, yeah, the better teams just do it for longer and we just can't get to that level. What I like about that is Ruzi, uh, you know, I, I, Ruzi's obviously been there now for a few years. He's going to leave this footy club in a really, really good place. Simon Goodwin all of a sudden taking it. You've got to remember Brayshaw to come back into that side. They've got some real talent now. Um, and now he's he's not happy with that. 
I mean, you know, they, they played good enough footy to possibly beat the Crows yesterday. And I like the fact that he says, you know what, we're, we're going okay, but we've still got a bit of work to do. It's, uh, they're playing a good brand. And if you compare that to the, the game that you did, the Carlton Collingwood, which was, uh, what, is, what do they say, glass eye stuff. Yeah, it uh, wasn't the most entertaining it, game of football. No, and, you know, going sideways and backwards. I mean, both these sides just went back through the corridor, took the game on, and uh, and and scored. So it was just, yeah, it was just great footy to watch. The AFL, that that's a game that the AFL, uh, anyone from overseas, sit down and say, watch that, and uh, they would be uh, hooked forever. Great article. I think it was by Jay Clark, who does a magnificent job. You would know because you were with him yesterday on the rub, talking about the lack of draft picks that the Crows had had, and they were the only team in the comp that currently didn't have a player on their list. I'm sort of going off from memory a bit from a top 10 draft pick because of all the issues with uh, Kurt Tippett, etc. Mm. They haven't had a top 10 pick in recent times. They've really done a good job because people thought that would really cruel them after what happened with Tippett in the draft yeah, pick scenario. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And it's uh, it's their defence. A lot of talk about their, uh, you know, their forward line and, and their midfield. Sloan's having a, a fantastic year. I think he had another 13 or 14 tackles yesterday. He's just, he's just hard at it. But... It's this underrated defence. They did get scored against yesterday, but they play, and both teams played a, a, a high risk, high risk, high reward footy. And uh, when it got turned over, it went down the other end at a million miles an hour, and that's why it was so good to watch. Big blow up in the F1 overnight. You know, I like my F1, and people sometimes enjoy the racing, but other people uh, watch F1 for the personalities clashing. Big story last night, Lewis Hamilton won Sunday's Grand Prix in Spielberg. That's in Austria. Yep. No relation to Stephen at all. In dramatic fashion, after passing Mercedes teammate Nico Rosberg for the lead on the very last lap, the pair made contact in the move, leaving Rosberg to trail home fourth. As always, Duck, there's two very different opinions. Let's hear first from Nico Rosberg on the incident. I went a bit deep into the corner, but that's fine, you know, because I dictate. I'm, the, I'm on the inside, you know, and then I was just very surprised that Lewis turned in uh, and that caused the collision. And um, so absolutely gutted for sure. That was unbelievable. So Nico then went back to finish fourth. Dan Ricardo finished fifth. So Nico blames Lewis. Yep. Let's hear Lewis' side of the equation. I did. Um, I left us a lot of room. I didn't try to close in, in or anything like that. I, I went to the right to the white line, so... Perhaps it was his corner, but he made a mistake and crashed into me. So I don't know who's, I guess I'm definitely not at fault there. I love these blokes. One says black is black. The other says white is white. And never the twain shall meet. Okay. So whose fault was it? Uh, Rosberg's, I reckon. Rosberg was having issues. His brakes were going off. I think they always judge it by who's in front on the corner. And Lewis was a touch in front. I reckon it was, uh, it was... Rosberg's fault, for want of a better term, but the man in charge of Mercedes, he's pulling his hair out at this stage because they were going to go one-two. They don't go one-two. Uh, a beautifully named German by the name of Toto Wolf. He came out and said, we're just playing like clowns. We should not be doing this. We're a professional half-a-billion-dollar operation, and we're driving into each other. Exactly. So why why do that? And what is the difference between one and fourth? Do, do they want to go? Is it... I mean, they don't, they don't really, they shouldn't really care who wins as long as they go. Well, the great problem you have, you've got a team sport yep. as far as the team is concerned. Yes. But within the individuals, it's a completely individual sport. No, Rosberg it, wants to beat Hamilton and vice versa. Well, exactly right. So, but what's the difference between one and two and one and four then? Other than, oh, clearly for the individual, but what does that mean for the team? Okay, at, at the end of the season, they have what's called a Constructors' Championship. So you get 25 points for a win. 
20 for second, you probably get down to about 12th for fourth. So they've lost eight points in the Constructors' Championship. They'll win the Constructors' Championship anyway, but as well as having a world champion driver, you have yeah, a world champion team. Gotcha. And that's killing them in the world right, championship right. team. Ricardo, another good result, though. Yeah, fifth. fifth. Sort of didn't go anywhere. There's talk of him still possibly ending up in Ferrari in two years' time, which would be their romantic choice. He obviously thinks that there's a better car underneath him at Red Bull, but he's had a frustrating season, Duck, and I think he'd probably be pretty frustrated with that result in the end. Plenty to come on the winter breakfast. Jason Day is still leading. We've got to go to the UK and find out what's happening with their elections. They're talking about trying to re-enter the European Union now. There's a million people at a protest yesterday. I'm not sure what's happening in world politics. Another another vote over there, maybe? Well, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll end up in the same situation here. Um, Our politicians need to lift, Duck. Well, well, do we need to... There was talk yesterday... um, I don't know who brought it up, but Spearsy's name came up. Mm. And I know we're, we're, we're going to have a chat to him uh, shortly, but uh, people are saying, why can't we just, all the booths are still set up. Put the sausages back on, Rosie. A roll up again. And let's roll up again. <sighs> well, I don't know about that, Duck. We'll discuss that next. All over the news last night, Duck, a lot of people coming out, uh, piling into the city of London to protest the EU situation in Brexit. Well, we'll get our man Peter Anderson on the line now and ask him that very question. Uh, good evening where you are, Pete. How are you? Good evening, guys. Well, good morning, guys. Yeah, as you say, a lot of people on the streets of London. It is estimated 30,000 people took to the streets of London, walking from Hyde Park to Parliament Square, where they held a rally. Uh, They were addressed by politicians, by celebrities, by musicians. This is a story that refuses to go away. And as well as those 30,000 who joined the march, just to highlight, there are more than 4 million people who have signed an online petition demanding that the referendum is rerun. They say, it wasn't fair, it didn't reflect society, and they are saying it should be re-held and the Brits should vote again. Remains to be seen if they have any success, but this is a campaign that is refusing to die the death. Well, in your opinion, is it a possibility that that could happen? Uh, I think the the heart says many people believe it is. Uh, The head suggests it is unlikely. And the facts really dictate that this was held quite correctly. Nobody is saying it was uh, was fraudulent. And when you look at the figures, this referendum had 17.5 million people who voted to leave the EU. That is a huge mandate. It was more than 50%. Uh, And when you compare that to recent general elections, we currently have a government who were elected a year ago, compared to the 17 million who want to leave Europe, they got into power with just 11 million and only 36% of the population. And that stands for all our general elections recently. So this is not fraudulent. It's purely, I think, people are upset and they are saying that the, that the statistics weren't fair, but they're arguing that they should have not been fought on the, on the numbers they were. But it's very hard after election or after a vote has taken place to say, oh, we weren't happy, we want it changed. You need to campaign for that before the election takes place. Yeah, I think you're spot on there, Pete. It sounds a little bit of uh, too little, too late. Who's going to run your country? Who's going to be the next Prime Minister? Uh, it's interesting. Over here, obviously, everyone knows Boris Johnson. He's the colourful London uh, London mayor or former London mayor, and he was viewed as the favourite. Uh, he now has left the race. He's been basically stabbed in the back by one of his colleagues, a guy called Michael Gove, and that has cleared the way for Theresa May. You may not know her, but she is all set to be Britain's second female Prime Minister after Margaret Thatcher back in the 70s and 80s. She is odds on with the, uh, with the public and with the bookies, and uh, it looks as though in all this uh, stabbing in the back and this uh, 
scaremongering behind the scenes. She is playing it a very canny game, and I think she could be elected Prime Minister here within the next couple of months. Peter, just as we let you go, Wales are through to the semi-finals of Euro. We've just seen France get through after smoking Iceland. Do the English people in this situation cheer for Wales or cheer against Wales? We, I think there's always a, a mix, and I think you'll always have some people who uh, feel a little bit hard done by, particularly after our humiliation against the Icelandic side. But I think people are passionate, and it's amazing how many Brits have suddenly become Welsh supporters and how many uh, English people have suddenly become British so that mm. they can still cheer them on. Uh, I, think there is, I think there's great support for that. Even David Cameron has been uh, tweeting uh, in support of the, of the Welsh. I have to say, guys, that hasn't gone down particularly well. And some people saying he's jumping on the bandwagon uh, and saying you've not supported us for 40 years. Why now? Uh, he's uh, suddenly become a very proud Welshman. <laughs> Appreciate your time, Pete. Good luck with everything over there. Take care, guys. Peter Anderson, our UK correspondent. It is the most interesting year in politics worldwide that I can, well, I can ever remember. And all of a sudden, we're interested in what's going on over there. We obviously, everyone's into what's going on in America. We've got going on what we've got going on here. There's a lot happening, isn't there? Well, I just think it shows people are disaffected and unhappy with their political what leaders, it, what Doug. It, what it also... But th- these blokes can't... I, the Donald Trumps of the world can't be getting up. They can't be leaving Brexit. We can't be having a hung parliament unless people in these countries are disappointed with what's going on around them. But it's another great example, and I think, of people that just sit back and say, oh, do I really need to have a voice? Does my voice, mm. you know, have enough power? really goes to show you that if you believe in something or you want someone in or something to happen, that you've got to go and vote. Because if you don't, we have situations like we're having. And now all these protests in the UK are by the young people, the 18 to 24-year-olds, of which have only a very small proportion actually voted in the referendum. And now it's coming back to bite them on the bum, isn't it? Yep, they're too busy... uh, Having a couple of froffies. Well, exactly. Well, they won't be doing those in France anymore, will they? Because they'll need a visa to get across to have a beverage, as they call it in France. (laughs) (laughs) Phil Liggett and David Spears to join us after seven on the winter breakfast. I might have made that up, Rosie. Triple M. No. Rose, I've been a bit unsure about Duck this morning. He's come in mm. a little bit grumpy, not his grumpy. usual sort of up and about uh, self. I, I thought, I, Rose, I thought it could have been maybe just recovering from the big North Melbourne celebrations. That did cross my mind, but that was Saturday afternoon. Well, it was. Then I thought he's got a touch of the flu from his beautiful daughter, Charlotte. Maybe that mm. had him a bit off off, uh, off kilter, but yep. I, think, I think I've figured out what's going on. Oh, good, oh, because what? we need to be able to move on. It's well, we do. I, and I turned to page 63 of the Herald Sun, the big footy fan survey, which I'm going to put a few questions to you later on. Now, one of the questions here, Rosie, mm. who is the best AFL tactical analyst on television? Ooh. And th- that's obviously a role our man Duck fills. Yes, he does. Uh, on Very seven well. on a Friday night, so on the big stage. Yeah. The, the winner here is David King. That's Fox Footy. I can understand that. But yeah. then Lee Matthews from Channel 7 comes second. Yep. Cameron Ling from Channel 7 comes Lee. third. Matthew Richardson gets in the top six. And there's one, two, three, there's 12 people listed. All the way down to Danny Frawley and Alistair Lynch on 2%. Our man, not there. Not there. And oh. I think it's just got your little bit uh, wound up, to be honest, Doc. I'm more than happy to be irrelevant. <laughs>
Howie. Well, uh, <laughs> I know you like to sort of fade into the distance, but surely. I am, I am more than happy to be irrelevant. I'm not sure I was even on the list to be picked from. Well. Uh, but the good thing is I'm not in the bad. I'm not in the good. And for me, that's a good. Yeah, but come on, Duck. <laughs> Lee Matthews, Cameron Ling and Richo well, Lee, in front of you. Well, Lee Matthews. Well, it goes, I'm not, I'm not touching I'm Lee than, Matthews. And I'm more than happy to, uh, I'm more than happy not to be on that list. As I, 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 said. I listen on a Friday night and yep. uh, seriously, surely you think you're better than Cameron Ling and Richo. <laughs> surely. <laughs> From, not, just tell I'm me not, what you told me in the break. What, about what you compared to Ling and Richo. I did not say anything, you goose. Where are you in the list? Well, I'm not a football analyst. No, what are you? I, I'm just a bit part yeah, player that I'm, sits on the boundary. Like I said. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm, I just want one honest answer from you now because yes, we've got to get to some exclusive okay. audio of Malcolm Turnbull. Do you think you're a better football analyst than no, Matthew Richardson? No, I don't. i tell you what I do think. Uh, okay. And as I said before, I'm more than happy. See, they, when these lists uh, came out, mm. When I was actually playing football, Here we go, I used to get number one as, you know, player right. dislike. And then it used to be quite high in the, the other category mm. as well. And I never liked that either because clearly you don't want to be. So I'm happy not to be. And I'm and you know what? I've, I've noticed in there, Ed's name's not in there anywhere either, which is... We're not talking about Ed. I just want one well, question for yeah. you. I'm sure Ed would be pretty happy about not being listed in either category Don't either. know about that. No, oh, I, really? I, no I'm not sure about it. I just well, want I'll you to look me in the eye. When Ed comes back. I, there's a simple question for you. I Do said you think, no. No, I haven't asked you this question yet. Oh, okay. Do you think <laughs> yes. that Cameron Ling is yes. a better football analyst than you? Yes or no? Just yes or no? I don't think I don't think about it. Well, I'm asking you right now. Well, I don't think about it. Give me Lingy's a yes very, or give me a no. Lingy's very good at so what So you think he does. he's better than you? Yeah, well, he's every bit as good. Is he better? He's every bit as good. <laughs> I can't say it, Rose. Is he better? What do you mean, is he better? I don't know. I, well, that's not for me to judge. What do you think, think, Rose? Think, is I think he he's better? avoiding the question. Yeah, I, you, no, I think we've Wayne got Wayne is to... also going into Channel 7 today. I'm wondering if it's to ask about this. Well, he is. He's going um, in there for a meeting with Lewis Martin. That's now we've roll. figured out why. I'm a little bit underdressed. That's what I'm... <laughs> you, you talk about what I'm uh, a little bit sort of my mind somewhere else. I mm. drove in here and I remembered I had a meeting with Lewis. At, Very casual you at, are. At uh, 9.30 and I'm dressed like a hobo. You are. You look like you're off to the <laughs> so beach. So I've... Yeah, so I've... I've that's that's what's on my mind, whether I can whip home quickly and get changed mm. before that meeting. So I've sent a message, waiting for a message back to see whether it uh, is appropriate that I go in. Would Lingy like roll up in shorts and No, Lingy would not. No, and that's why he's missed a 14%. No, no. When Lingy's well-dressed, he still looks like a hobo. I, so, I'm uh, just glad. <laughs> I'm just glad that with all this therapy and work you've gone through, that you can admit to yourself that Cameron Ling is a better he, tactical analyst well, than you in football. What? Guess what? If that's what it says on there, then obviously that, then he is. Because that... That is gospel. Whatever's in the Herald Sun's gospel. You've got to remember that. Okay. Cameron <laughs> Ling is better than me, says Duck. We still don't know, Duck, who is going to be the Prime Minister of Australia. It's still up for uh, debate and confusion and counting of votes. We are now going to play some exclusive audio. We've got Moles at uh, sort of the Point Piper region where the Prime Minister lives, Malcolm Turnbull. And our Moles have gone in there with a microphone and have recorded Malcolm doing an acceptance speech. Really? Preparing to accept oh. the Prime Ministerium position. An exclusive. Exclusive. Let's have a listen. Hello to all Australians. This is your newly elected Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull, speaking. I'm the Prime f- Minister, and I have to say it feels good. After Bill Shorten conceded on Saturday night, my most difficult task was to look humble. But why should I? I'm the richest PM in Australia's history, and I live in Point Piper or Kirribilli or The Lodge, but enough about me. I'm going to govern for 
Australians. Unless you voted Labor, you're on welfare or happen to be in the unions. Then I'm going to give you a pounding. <laughs> Not really, I'm joking. It's going to be good times all around. And don't worry about the economy, Medicare, education and all that other stuff. It'll look after itself. Right now, I'm going to pop a zanny and have a lie down because Lucy and I have been smashing the verve and the Sangiovese and I've got a hangover that'd kill a brown dog. Good on you, Australia. You're good people and good constituents. A brown dog. <laughs> Thanks to Lawrence Mooney for uh, letting us get hold of that exclusive mm. audio. Oh, I don't might have, have, might a, have jumped the gun a little. Well, he may have. I don't have a problem. People have a problem with the Prime Minister being uh, exceedingly wealthy. To me, being exceedingly wealthy means you've been exceedingly successful. Okay, so you want Trump to get in America? No, I'm not saying it's <laughs> well, always the way to go. that's a contradiction, Howie. No, it's not a contradiction. Yes, it is. It would be a contradiction if I said I didn't want to get him in because he's rich. I don't want to get him in, but being rich has nothing to do with it. Surely the amount of money you made is a sign of your success. No, I agree with that. Okay. You're just trying to wind me up. Yes. You're still snaky about this Herald Sun thing. <laughs> we need to investigate this further. David Spears will come on shortly to explain to us exactly what is going on with this election situation. This is Mark Howard and a man that is not as good a football analyst as Cameron Ling, according to the people. <laughs> a man that we've really jumped on board as a fan of his work on this show now is David Spears, who's in charge of everything political at Sky News. Good morning, Spearsy. Morning, boys. How are you? Well, we're good. I went to three games of football on the weekend. I came away from all three knowing the result. I come away from the election. I still don't have a clue what's going on. Can you tell me, Spearsy, what's happened? (laughs) You and me both. You and me both. Very, very close. So there's about a dozen seats that are still too close to call. It'll take a week or so before they count all the last votes in them. So we're not going to know probably for a little while. Look, the, the government's hoping it can just scrape there still. But I reckon more likely is going to be another hung parliament. That means it's a tie and they've got to talk to the the independents, people like Bob Catter and Andrew Wilkie and and try and convince them to get on board to get enough numbers for a government. Spezzy, when you're calling that, it's a bit like calling obviously a draw in a grand final. What what was it like when you're just sitting there just not really knowing what to say? It's look for starters. It goes into a very late night, so we were uh, we were there till at one a.m. Uh, you know, and, and we didn't. You, you got to wait with these things until the leaders, both Shorten and Turnbull, actually say something that night, and they're waiting too. So Turnbull didn't come out till after midnight on Saturday, uh, before he finally gave a, a, a pretty funny speech that he wasn't expecting to have to give. <laughs> uh, where you can't say you've lost, you can't say you've won, but you got to sort of sound positive about where it's all at when you know it's not. Um, and then finally, you got to you know, pull stumps after that and um, leave everyone up in the air as to what's going on. So, no, it's not an ideal uh, outcome. Isn't it a bit of a competition between you guys that uh, call these things, mm. that who calls it yeah. first? And uh, <laughs> were, you, were, you, were you close to calling it? Uh, look, not really, not really, because, yes, there is a competition of sorts, you know, who can call it first. But as uh, someone on our panel, Michael Kroger, uh, often says, You've only got to call it wrong once. And then you're done with these things. So you've got to be careful. People have called it wrong in the past. And look, that's the last thing you want to do. You don't want to be saying, yep, the, the Libs have won or Labor's won. Uh, so you've just, got to, you've just got to go based on what the data is showing. And uh, unfortunately, no one was able to call it on the night. The old one goat scenario, hey, Spearsy. <laughs> right, now, listen, I, I've been reading the business pages over the weekend, uh, the likes of Terry McCran down here in the Herald Sun, etc. People seem to think this is a negative for the economy of the country. 
if yeah. we do end up with a hung situation, we have to, for want of a better term, pander to those that uh, that will control the balance of power. That was an intelligent-sounding question too, by the way, Spearsy, I thought. <laughs> it was, and it's, and it's right. It's absolutely right. This is not good for the economy, not good for the, the government's budget. Look, if, if they're going to have to rely on independence, uh, independents are generally more populist. That means they don't want to do anything, you know, anything nasty to voters. So they don't want to cut spending. They want to keep all the all the programs running. Um, they don't want to put up any taxes. And that's the same with the new Senate that they're going to face with the likes of Pauline Hanson, Mick mm. Xenophon, all these. None of them are going to want to do anything nasty to voters because they're not a major party that's got to be responsible. So it means that our budget's probably going to get worse and that's not good for the economy. David Spears is with us, the Sky News political editor. The, the other thing that I think is getting on the go to the average Australian, of which I am, Duck's not an average Australian, but I'm an average Australian, Spears, <laughs> is the fact that we don't seem to be able to stick with a leader. Or, already they're talking yeah. about uh, Shorten um, and a, a challenge to his leadership. They're saying that mm. even if Turnbull takes government, will he be able to remain the full term? Just as a normal bloke, I, I want to see the person that's elected fulfil their term, and it doesn't seem to be happening in Australian politics. No, and you're absolutely right. I reckon this is a, a big concern for a lot of people. They're sick of this churn through uh, Prime Ministers. Um, I think either way, Shorten will be okay. There might be a, a challenge against him, but he's done you know, much, much better than anyone expected. So he's got a good claim on staying in the job, and I think he probably will. Turnbull, well, yeah, if he just scrapes in, he's going to have to be watching his back. Uh, there's no doubt about it. And you know, it's all well and good for him to say, we need stability in the leadership now, as of now. But nine months ago, he brought down Tony Abbott. Mm. So he can hardly complain if they come after him, if uh, if they need to, to keep their own uh, uh, jobs in the parliament. That's, that's what it's all about. Spezzy, why in these situations, I said earlier this morning, you wouldn't have been out of bed yet. Uh, why can't we just say, you know what, the booths are still up, put the sausages back on, <laughs> and let's go back to the polls? You know what? That might actually happen. It's not impossible how it works is if the Governor-General isn't convinced that uh, neither side can uh, can form a government, that's his last resort. He'll say, OK, we've got to do it all again and send everyone back to an election. So, you, know, you know who's going to be most pleased with that, Spearsy? Yeah. The butchers, because there's more sausages to be sold. Now, exactly. As we let you go, just say we had Darren Hinch on the show at about 8.27 and we were trying to put our political minds together as to what to ask him and we weren't coming up with much. If you had Darren Spears on the line, what's the first question you're asking him? Well, the thing about Darren is he'll be in the Senate, so he doesn't get to choose who gets to form government because that happens in the lower house. But, uh, look, you know, well, he's going, to be, he's going to be coming into the parliament by the looks of it in the Senate. Um, I think, you know, this is question about what are you willing to do to actually fix the budget? One thing that you would do to help fix the budget. What are you willing to do to fix the budget? I've got it, Spearsy. <laughs> we'll get that away early. I'll we we appreciate your time. You're a great no man. No worries at all. Have a good one. Great to speak to Dave Spears. He's a dude. He, he's a dude. He's a dude, but it's Darren Hinch coming in, not uh, Darren Spears. Did, did, oh, I'd say Darren Spears. Yeah. I meant to say Darren Hinch, you know. <laughs> right. Oh, well, I was getting so confused well, when you with this political scenario. What did I call him? Darren Spears, did I? Well, he'd be a nice combination. Uh, we need to talk footy next. Jason Day, what happened? He hit it in the water. He's six under, but Dustin Johnson is dropped a shot on his final hole. So Jason Day's got three to play, and he's currently equal leader but he's about to hole out for a potential bogey or double bogey. So we'll keep you across that as well. Mark Howard, Wayne Carey, and that was David Spears. And we're also going to speak to Darren Spears as well, which is David's brother.
That reminds me back to the Dead Set Legends days when, with eight seconds to go before each segment, you'd say to me, What are we doing? <laughs> Jason Day had a double bogey on the 16th hole in the Bridgestone Invitational. He now trails Dustin Johnson by two shots. Uh, Johnson is a, in the clubhouse as the clubhouse leader. Now, we've already discussed on the show this morning uh, that you've got your nose out of joint, that you haven't oh, been listed as the best AFL tactical analyst on television. You didn't even get a run in the top which 15. You I'm admitted happy, that Cameron Ling was a better I'm, analyst yes, than you. which I'm happy to be irrelevant. You said that Danny Frawley was a better football analyst yep, than you. all of those. So you're happy with that. Clearly so, they all are because they're in there. Clearly. So now I'm going to sit you down and put you through the Herald Sun AFL football fan survey. I don't like dealing in the negatives, so there's some questions I won't ask you. But right. Okay. Do you, Wayne Carey, support AFL matches being played on Good Friday? Uh, Yes, I do. You do, as did 75% of those that applied to this uh, particular question situation. What time should the AFL grand final be played? Day, night or twilight? I've always said day, but I think... In the next three years, we'll have a night grand final, and I think it'll be a good thing. You, you say you'd prefer a night grand final? Soon? Soon. Okay. It'll happen. Do you support a return to state of origin football? You would have loved this in your day. We get state of origin every weekend. Unfortunately, in our game, the, the only big games are Victoria v South Australia or Victoria v WA, um, and unfortunately, we have all states play our game. So, you know, the likes of Dunstall and Richo and all of those guys who had to play for the Allies many years ago don't get to play for either of those states. So, I think it's done. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. Uh, will you follow the new AFL Women's League? Absolutely. As did 61% yep. I've, of I've respondents. Ac- I've actually uh, really enjoyed the games, and I know it's the best of the best, so that will be diluted a little, but. I think uh, we're right. When we spoke to Bianca Chatfield, mm. who uh, wrote a really good article about it um, last week about you know women's sport, all women's sport, got to go there with an open mind and not expect to be seeing you know. Yeah, um, that was a really salient game. point. I thought it was really good, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Actually, should there be two AFL teams based in Queensland? Uh, no, should but I, I said that probably. I said that when they first came in, so I've been saying that for. So you think a long there should time. only be one? Yes. Okay. Who is the best? What did they? What did they say? Sixty uh, percent of people said yes. Forty percent of people said no. What is the? Who is the best value recruit of twenty sixteen? Oh, that's fairly obvious. Go on. Danger. Yep, danger. Well, sixty percent people went with that. Uh, I'm not interested in the worst value. That's a terrible question. Uh, which of these Victorian teams will win a premiership first? Melbourne, Carlton, Essendon, St Kilda, Collingwood, or Richmond? Yeah, I probably say after watching Melbourne yesterday mm-hmm. and with some young talent coming through, um, and and the improvement in Petrarca and these guys, uh, Jesse. If Jesse Hogan stays, mm-hmm. I'll say Melbourne. As did thirty one percent of respondents. Who is the most universally loved player in the AFL? I this think, is a disgrace that Cyril's only fourth at ten percent. But anyway, I think. Jimmy Bartell's one that uh, is as much loved as is Bob Murphy. Okay, Bob Murphy topped the tops at 39. Uh, Jimmy Bartell was uh, third at equal 10% with Cyril. Who is the AFL's best play-by-play television commentator? Play-by-play, I think it's a draw. Between? Dennis and Bruce. Okay, Dennis 49%, Bruce 13%, only separated by Anthony Hudson, who does a fine job on Fox by 14%. Uh, Dennis, retired at the end of year. A lot of discussion. Have you had any little word from Channel 7 about who's going to um, fill the great man's shoes on a well, Friday night? I, I know BT's well, name's been thrown well, in the mix. BT, there's Basil, there's mm-hmm. Hamish. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a you know there's a few guys putting their hands up. Luke Darcy, mm-hmm. our very own, um, would be, uh, I guess, in the discussion. Okay. Any particular My, choice that you'd like to see um, happen? 
I work a lot with Hamish, uh, you know, your, your, your colleagues. I work a lot with BT. I'd be happy for either of those guys to, to get the gig. Um, that's nothing against Basil. I okay. just, I guess when you get to know guys personally, you just hope that they, you know, move forward in their careers and that would be a big one to get. All right, this is the one that's really put a bee in your bonnet. Who is the best AFL tactical analyst on television? Uh, of the 12 names listed, you're not one of them. Um, so Alistair Lynch at 2% was above you, as was Cameron Ling at 14%. Who do you think is the best AFL tactical analyst on television? Um... Lee Matthews. Lee Matthews. Do you think you deserve to be in the top 12? Um, I'm happy to be irrelevant, as I said. But do you think you deserve to be in the top 12? No, no you're right. uh, uh, What is your favourite footy who, television uh, program? What, what, well, where did you come in the best boundary rider? Um, <laughs> I won it, but the category wasn't seen to be worth printing in the paper. <laughs> who is your, what's your favourite footy television program that you're not involved in? Uh, favorite uh, footy. T- I'll say uh, no, no, definitely talking footy. No, that you're not involved in talking footy. Okay, AFL 360 produced by the superstar Timmy Hodges uh, was hey, top of 29. Uh, by the way, there. I've noticed that all of the uh, categories here they're all somehow tied to the same company that write, you know, the, the Herald Sun. Same, you know, there's just that's just that's a conspiracy theory here. That so maybe, is this why you don't think you were nominated as the best analyst? Maybe I wasn't even on the list. Oh, now we're getting to the real gist of it, Rosie. So you're saying the Herald Sun <laughs> left you off the list because you work for well, Channel maybe. Seven? Well, maybe. No, no, I didn't say but that. But they put Lingy on it. Maybe. Yeah. Okay, and they put Lee Matthews on it. Yeah. Okay, and maybe, Richard. Maybe, maybe maybe they put a certain amount from each group and right. maybe other people weren't on the list to choose from. Okay. Well, we need to get someone from the Herald Sun to confirm or deny that. Should Joe Watson, I've got two more for you, should Joe Watson keep his Brownlow medal? Absolutely. Yes, 43, no, 57. So it's an interesting situation that the public feels about that one. Yeah, well. And finally, who is the sexiest AFL player? Uh, the sexiest? I don't mind a oh, – no, I think it's going to sound <laughs> – Come on. No, I, I think I think, and I, I probably more so because I love the way he plays footy. Alex Rance is a good-looking rooster. I'm happy to say he's a beautiful-looking man. He is a beautiful-looking man, yeah, Alex yeah. Rance. He'd be my vote as well. All right, well handled, Duck. We'll get onto the Herald Sun to see whether you were actually put on the list of best analysts in the game. For those just joining us, we've just been discussing the Herald Sun readers decide about all sorts of issues in football, including who is the best AFL tactical analyst on television. Uh, David King leads the 11 people nominated all the way down to Alistair Lynch with 2%. Our man Duck continues to deny Rosie that it doesn't concern him and he likes to be irrelevant. Couldn't care less, Rosie, did you hear him say in the ad break, I quote, did you hear him say this? By the way, Howie, I have been voted best radio special comments man uh, by my peers who I think know a little bit more about the game than some of these flogs. Yep. I have three trophies, uh, th- two trophies to prove it, and I'm going for a three-peat, and I'll probably win it. Yes, well, three-peat was definitely it's, uh, Sarah mentioned. came in. I'd, had, I'd forgotten all about those. And, uh, <laughs> Sarah came in and said, uh, you do realise it's, well, it's a bit like the MVP, those awards, and uh, because you're voted by your peers. <laughs> I have, I, I forgot all about the back-to-back, um, and... I, I, Have you got a aforementioned, if I walked into your room yeah, uh, at home, would, would I see these trophies anywhere? You would not know that I played footy. There, there is you not didn't answer one, my no, question. I'm about to. You okay. would not know that I played footy, but the back-to-back uh, MVP for radio <laughs> comment uh, is there for everyone to uh, just have a little look at, Howie. Duck, one of my favourite sporting events every year is the Tour de France. It doesn't fit in well 
with breakfast radio, it must be said. No, I, I must say, Howie, I didn't uh, stay up too late to well, see what was going on. I always on stay night. up just to have a listen to the next man because I've told you before, he's my favourite commentator well, in world sport. such a beautiful voice. He has. He joins us on the line now from somewhere in France, I presume. Phil Liggett. G'day, Phil. Yeah, good day, yes. We've moved on to Angers. The race finished about, I don't know, uh, four or five hours ago. Uh, and it finished up on the um, Cherbourg Peninsula, the northernmost point of the race this year. Now we're off down to Angers for tomorrow's finish. So post-stage, do you just tuck into a nice little uh, vino and some camembert, or how do you wind down, Phil? Oh, if only that were true. The race (laughs) finished at 5 o'clock local time. It's now quarter to 10, and we spent the last four hours in the car driving to our next hotel. And we stopped at a... Well, a dump, frankly, where we're going to have just some steak and chips and get to bed. Oh. So, uh, so what happened? <laughs> it's been o- luxurious here. <laughs> <laughs> so, what happened overnight? Well, it was it was it was not a good day for Richie Port, the Tazzy rider, because he had a flat tire, uh, just about three or four kilometres from the finish line. A, a really so much bad luck. I mean. He's joint leader of the American BMC team because they're really hoping he could do a performance in the tour this year. And, uh, well, he's lost one and three-quarter minutes and probably all chance of winning the tour through no fault of his own. So he, I must say, Richie was very, very low after he finished, uh, but his team uh, took him to the hotel uh, saying they're going to give him a boost. Hey, it's three weeks today when this race finishes, so... There is places when things can go wrong for the other guys, and and he might have some good days as well. Yeah, really tough, Peter Sagan, having the stage win after Cavendish won stage one. He's just a machine, that man. But you mentioned Richie Port, and I guess Phil, the first time, you know, he's he's played that domestique role, as it's called in that part of the world, so many times, and he's helped other people win the Tour de France. He gets his first opportunity to lead the team. People are talking about him in very positive, favourable terms, and then a simple thing as a flat tyre. Yeah, absolutely right. All the modern technology, and they still can't solve a simple flat tyre. Uh, I feel sorry for Richie, and he's a rider that does get affected mentally by these setbacks. Uh, but the team he's on is a very good, solid team, Team BMC. And, um, you know, TJ Van Garden, the American leader on the team, jointly with Richie, said tonight after the finish, we are still joint leaders of this team. It's a matter now of getting Richie to the hotel and just pointing out to him with three weeks to race, he hasn't lost the Tour de France yet. And so as far as I'm concerned, TJ said, we are still joint leaders of the team. He said, what happened to him today could happen to me tomorrow. Mm. So uh, if they lift his morale, I mean, he's a most talented bike rider. So who's your tip for the tour? It's very difficult. At the moment, the way it's going, Chris Froome, who is the defending champion, looking for a third victory in the tour as well, uh, has done nothing wrong. He's best placed of all of favourites. He hasn't made any mistakes. And and today, again, he finished in the same time as Peter Sagan, the winner. So he, he's done well. Alberto Contador, who came in as a favourite to win, has had a horrible two days of racing. He fell heavily two days ago on the opening stage. Uh, his own volition, his own fault on a right-hand bend, he crashed. And uh, he fell on the same injuries again today. And so he really is becoming a wounded soldier, which uh, has knocked him out, I think, of all hope of winning the Tour. So it's still, at the moment, it's, a ma- it's mano a mano with uh, Nero Quintana, the Colombian rider, and Chris Froome, because they are the two coming through the first two days with no mistakes. 
Dark Phil will never remember this, but back in the 2004 Athens Olympics, we were both working at Channel 7, and he was calling the cycling by himself, and he said, listen, there's a spare spot next to me. You can sit next to me. And I sat next to him and heard him literally beside me call Anna Mears winning her first gold medal in Athens. It was a great thrill for me. And now, Phil, uh, this week we are announcing our flag bearer for the Australian Olympic team. I'm sure you would agree there will be no better choice than Anna Mears. Oh, who else could it be? Mm. That's a great result. Yeah, that's a great result. It's got to be Anna Mears. She, she's flown the flag so high for the Australians. A couple of years ago in the Olympics, a few years ago now, she saved the faces of all of the cyclists by being the only cyclist, man or woman, to come away from the Games with a medal. Uh, and that was after an horrendous accident. So, no, that's, that's terrific news. Phil, we really appreciate your time. We love your work every night on SBS. Turn it on. You can see it nightly on SBS as well as highlights in the morning. Phil, we really, really appreciate your time. Enjoy your steak and chips, and hopefully we can speak to you again soon. <laughs> Thank you very much. I'll speak to you later in the tour. Great to speak to Phil Liggett. He's the best. I, yeah. I know we've debated this before, but for me, across all sports on the planet. He's the best. Well, to sit there and figure out who the hell is who, yeah. just to do that, ducky boy, you need to work on that Well, I've got to uh, probably stay up and watch some of it. That might help. Well, you know, he asked a couple of pretty sharp questions, I thought, of Phil. Didn't exactly oh, push him too far. Of, uh, they were sort of prearranged, those questions. <laughs> Duck, uh, as you well know, Triple M's own Lawrence Mooney has a very tight relationship with the current Prime Minister, who is just holding on at the moment, Malcolm Turnbull. If you haven't heard it, we're just going to play you some audio, Lawrence Broughters, of the Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull practising his acceptance speech. Hello to all Australians. This is your newly elected Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull speaking. I'm the Prime Minister, and I have to say it feels good. After Bill Shorten conceded on Saturday night, my most difficult task was to look humble. But why should I? I'm the richest PM in Australia's history and I live in Point Piper or Kirribilli or The Lodge, but enough about me. I'm going to govern for all Australians. Unless you voted Labor, you're on welfare or happen to be in the unions. Then I'm going to give you a pounding. <laughs> Not really, I'm joking. It's going to be good times all around. And don't worry about the economy, Medicare, education and all that other stuff. It'll look after itself. Right now, I'm going to pop a zanny and have a lie down because Lucy and I have been smashing the Verve and the Sangiovese and I've got a hangover that'd kill a brown dog. Good on you, Australia. You're good people and good constituents. The Sangiovese, he's been giving it a hiding. I, I believe Lawrence was also there when the Prime Minister was running through what he may have to do if he actually gets oh. defeated. So I think this is the other side of the equation, okay. Duck. Hello, it's Malcolm Turnbull, the former Prime Minister of Australia. Well, you've gone and done it. You've blown it, Australia. You've got rid of a good guy who knows how to enjoy himself and replaced me with Tit Shorten. I mean, seriously, what is wrong with that guy's head? Now we can look forward to the Shorten, Plibersec, Shorten years, then another change of government. And don't come crying to me when that commie robs your super and adversely acquires your property in the name of the People's Republic of Australia. If you're not a card-carrying member of the union, you'll be rounded up and made to dig holes on the side of the road. It's going to be a high-vis nightmare. To tell you the truth, it's a bit of a relief because now I can go and bask in the south of France and pursue my real passion, foie gras and Beaujolais. So to all of you losers, up yours, your shit constituents. Love, Big Mal. Tit uh, short, and I think it's a little think, bit rough, isn't it, Doug? I think I like his. Uh, I think I like that speech better. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. Well done to Lawrence Mooney for getting us that. The big story over the weekend was Jack Silvani. I actually was at, at a function at the football over the weekend, and they uh, 
They went with a magician duck. Oh. <laughs> it's always dangerous. Well, there was no hat. There was no rabbits. There was no well, big long. That's, that's real old school well, we uh, sort of magical po- stuff. Poured a, it's, poured... More, it's more elephants and cars well, and well, helicopters. Th- this and... bloke was more just sort of pouring beer into someone's shoe. Oh. Um, which me. It re- you know, when it's Actually really... poured a beer well, in that, someone's that shoe. Well, that was sort of his trick. But you know when it just what, fall... uh, what what was the trick in pouring a beer? Well, in the, the, shoe? the beer didn't actually go into the shoe, but you know when everyone's just sort of cringing because it's not working. It was yeah. oh, I get really awkward in yeah. those. To be honest, his best trick was when he left the room at the end of the whole. <laughs> to be completely made, frank with he you, he made himself disappear. That's exactly right. Uh, Jack Silvani it was fantastic just to see him run out duck. I was calling that game. The, the first thing you think, wow, he's got the long sleeves on like his dad. The second thing you think is his legs. That bandy legged approach yeah. is exactly the same, and he, he took a mark running back with the flight and he just looked a little bit out of control but he's obviously his father's son and, and, and obviously the, the son of the beautiful Joe Silvani but the resemblances were quite extraordinary. Jay Clark who was uh, on Sunday footy on the Sunday rub yesterday said that uh, he thought I didn't see the game yep. but he thought that uh, yeah just identical it was in freaky. the way he played and, and he's running gate which uh, Soss had a Probably not as quick as Sauce, they tell me, but um, really good debut. I mean, to do that, he said he looked cool and calm in a few situations in, in traffic, and um, I reckon they'd be pretty proud parents, uh, especially Joe. Yeah. Um, I reckon Joe's more vocal than uh, Big Sauce. Sauce probably sits Gee, back a little bit. Big Sauce. I talked to Andy McKay before the game. He said, yeah, Sauce is pretty toey about and the whole Joe, thing. And Joe was actually asked by just about every media outlet in, uh, in Melbourne and probably Australia on mm. the weekend to have a chat. And she declined all of them. I think she initially said, oh, yeah, she was going to do one, but then pulled out because she didn't want to put added pressure on the kid, which is fair enough. And it was uh, – I thought it was a good debut. Yeah, no, he, he played really well. He, he could have had that shot for goal. We were calling it. We just wanted, Schwartz and I wanted to call Silvani kicking his first goal. He took that mark 10 metres out and he passed it back to Bryce Gibbs who missed it. But, you know, his opportunity will come. So well done to the entire Silvani family. I guess the other big story out of the weekend was the Western Bulldogs. Bontempelli marks 50 out with seconds on the clock. Then they get a spare man in Johannesson who'd been out for 10 weeks, etc. Goes back, kicks the goal. Brilliant, brilliant game of football. You tipped the dogs. I did tip the dogs, not with a great deal of confidence. It was always going to be a tough game, but uh, a lot of talk whether Johannesson should have come back into that side after 11 weeks. Yep. Wasn't going to, and then at the last minute they said, no, nope, we went, ended up being a, a master stroke because that's the one thing that he does very well. He's, a, he's just a beautiful kick of the footy. So uh, good finish, and once again, mm. you, it just shows you how close this competition is. And for the Bulldogs, for two years in a row now, I've gone up to Sydney and, and knocked them off because, you know, Sydney was six and zip at the SCG this year. So the Bulldogs, the only side to upset them up there, which was uh, just a great effort. The Tigers now sit 12th on the ladder, 14 games, six wins, eight losses after they got rolled on the weekend. Danny Frawley had this to say on the Saturday rub about the Richmond coaching position. Keep hearing out of Punt Road, they're all on the one page. Peggy O'Neill, Brendan Gale, Dan Richardson, Damon Hardwick. I'd like to know what that page is. I think it's blurred. I think there's a lot of mistakes on the page. Um, there's no doubt Damon Hardwick would have indigestion this morning because his coaching CV is not great, let's face it. He's coached for seven years now without winning a final. Uh, the, the, the clock's ticking. Pretty strong. Yeah, it was strong, and I, I actually disagreed with Spud. I thought that, uh, yes, they haven't won a final, but they've, they've won 15 home and away games in two of those years. Three years in a row, they've made the finals. They haven't, they haven't won one of those finals. I think now, and I heard Damien um, 
after the game, uh, talk about where they're at now. And he, he basically said that now it is time to develop you know, for the rest of the year, that is, and look at what they can do for next year, who, you know, and, and I'm sure all names, and it's been a hot topic all year because of their form, who they'll keep, whether they'll throw up one of those big names. A lot of players out of contract. Trade, trade right, w- w- okay, would you throw up one of those big, so-called no, big names? No. The, the name Delidio keeps none coming of, up. None of those. No way. Stick with those boys? No, no way. You don't throw it. You those boys, and I and I said on the weekend, um, Alex Rance is a million dollar defender. I know he's just signed a contract, but they've got him for way unders. Yep. I'd be I'd be going to him right now, saying, "Listen, I know we've re-signed you not long ago. Here's an extra two hundred a year, and we want you to re-sign for another four years and just lock him away. He is an absolute gun, the best defender in the game, and there's a lot out there. Uh, Talia, for you know, you know, we, Harry yep. Taylor's been a great defender, but. He is just elite, Alex Rance. Can you explain to me why Trent Cochin keeps getting so much, under so much scrutiny and so much criticism? It purely because of the fact that he's the captain of the football club? Is it because of the way he's playing? I, like, whenever I see Cochin play, I think, well, he's in the top two players I've seen today. Yeah, he's had a big, uh, I, I think he's had a really good year. Uh, he so was, why the criticism? He was, he was, well, he was tagged on the weekend and... Um, Young Mitchell, first game for Port Adelaide for the year, came in with a specific job, and that was to tag him. Unfortunately for Richmond, Trent Cotchin is an absolute gun. Now, he's a, he's, he's a midfielder, but he has an ability to go forward. The problem was he went forward. They weren't winning enough of the footy for him to go forward and then have an impact in the forward 50. Dusty Martin was in the same boat. He got tagged by Ebert, but probably uh, won that contest. But they couldn't push him forward either. They did at times. But they were just standing inside fifty with nothing to do because the Tigers couldn't get the ball there. Um, look, they've got a lot of they've they've got a lot of work to do. They'll find out a lot of, over the next eight weeks. But it will be about getting some game time into some others. I thought they made a mistake at the selection table as well. Griffiths, Vickery, and also Bigger Van, um, whose body just looks to be letting him down. They took three marks between them. Um, it was never going to be a night for those three big guys. Question marks. And I and I've been. Uh, been bullish on Vickery and, it, and it's not a personal thing. It's just, you know, what's he, where, where's he at? I mean, I, I thought he took steps last year. He's taken a few steps this year at different times, but he was just, he was just a, a basically a passenger as was Griffiths would on you the put, weekend. Would you put Vickery on the trade table? Categorically, he would, he would be discussed as will Griffiths and as will uh, many others other than those players, you know, those top five players. But even Edwards, who has probably had a really good year, I think he's really reached the heights that they thought he could reach. He, You know, he's got just so much talent. So they've, they've just had a year where some players that they thought were going to go forward have probably stagnated. Some have gone a little bit backwards. Your top five, Rance and a, and a few of these guys. Jack Rewald, I think, is, is having his... Once again, last year's now a centre-half forward, not a full forward. Career best year. Just been absolutely brilliant in their losses. He was great on the weekend again. So there's some positives. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Damien Hardwick fan. I don't, think that, um, I don't think that you sack a coach, and I'll say this again. I've said it a million times. You don't sack a coach off one poor year, and you don't re-sign him after one mm. good one. Now, they've given him an extension. This year hasn't been a good year. But you don't throw him out just because you've – I mean, three final series in a row. There's not too many Richmond coaches that have done that in the last 20 years. I'm with you, Duck. We've got the uh, we've got the great man mm. sitting in front of us who uh, – Soon to be senator. Well, yeah, soon to be senator. Did a very good 
job in Darren Hinch. Welcome, Darren. Gentlemen, good morning. I've got to say, now, I've got a big meeting after this. That's how I should be dressed. <laughs> uh, in a suit with a beautiful scarf rather than just a T-shirt. And, this is my, uh, my lucky Queen Victoria market scarf. I spent a lot of time at Queen Vic, uh, campaigning, etc. You know, this is so amazing because coming here, my old spot, the regular spot. Yes. And uh, I just thinking coming in, four months ago, I didn't even have a registered political party. And last night, I spent 15 minutes on the phone with the Prime Minister of Australia. Really? And on Friday, I get a call at Queen Vic Markets from uh, Bill Shorten wishing me luck. And it's just, it's been an extraordinary thing. But look, my small team, uh, we travelled 11,250 kilometres around country Victoria. over the. We started campaigning in February before even official and just got out there and talked to people. I know every, the funny thing was at, at the little, the markets, down the, the farmer's markets, I think people thought I'd there to buy candles and honey. I've got more, enough candles to last me another five years. Hey, <laughs> Darren, well done, by the Thanks. way. Fantastic. Congratulations. Uh, congratulations. But were you talking to the Prime Minister of Australia? Do you do you know that he's going to be? Well, he currently he currently yes, prime minister. I, yes, say, yes. I was talking to the current prime minister. <laughs> yeah. so, don't, we we is, don't know what's going to happen. Is, you know? is that conversation about? Are you with me, buddy? No, I, I just I said on sunrise this morning, I made my first political decision here. I think if I divulge, as the Americans would say, right. divulge the personal conversations with either Bill Shorten or Malcolm Turnbull, not a good start to my relationships in Canberra. So no. I, I, I can tell you though, we were not talking about the football. Yeah. Right. <laughs> now, I must say, Darren, I'm uh, and Duck and I have joked during the week with our yeah. various political people that we're probably your typical person. We have a general understanding, but not an in-depth understanding. So, And I'm not afraid to say it. When I go to vote, I see your name there, and I put you as a very high number, not really knowing specifically, I'll be honest with you, what you're about, but knowing that generally I have the feeling that you will do the right thing, which is a tremendous responsibility now that enough people have made that decision. You actually had a pretty good number, actually, Darren, didn't the, you? Number one. It was number still, one. They're like the proverbials. It was a very good. Look, I think when I was starting out, and I told Eddie this recently that went on the show, I, I w- went very proudly and said to a friend, I've registered the uh, political operative. And I said, I've registered the name, the Justice Party. And he said, You won't get elected. I said, What do you mean? And he said, yeah, What does it mean? He said, Animal justice, this justice, that justice. Right. He said, You've got to call the Derrick Hinch Party. And I said, Look, I'm not Clive Palmer. No, thanks. And I, uh, so I went home and talked to Ellie, my goddaughter, and she just voted in the, last, the first time in the last election. I said, who'd you vote for? She said, well, I looked at all these names and mm. all these things, and about 17 different names, and I saw Animal Justice, and I thought, I like animals, so I voted for them. So I went back and I said, change the name, Derrick, he's a Justice Party, because despite you, you don't know all the details, you know who I am, you know, you've seen in the past, my, my life's been an open book. I hope people say, yeah, I can trust him, he's honest. And well, that's, all, and that's, that, and that's what I'm saying, but now, because enough people like me have made that decision, there's a tremendous responsibility now yeah. to go and continue to push those well, views, you know, I guess. The best advice I got was from, 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 uh, was from Ruth Stanfield, my campaign manager, volunteer, and she said to me a couple of weeks ago, she said, Darren, just remember, people voting for you are voting for Darren Hinch. Mm. Darren Hinch for what you stand for, not Darren Hinch a politician. Don't become one. And it was good advice because I hope I can stay. I plan to. And I know enough as Darren Hinch and, and push the causes, the the, the, the public, uh, public register of convicted sex offenders, those sorts of issues, and push them hard because that's what people put me in there for. That's right. And yep. that's what I have to do. And the good thing is, being a journalist for more than 50 years, long than you guys have been alive, is that I... Um, if I get inside that Canberra bubble, I've got journo mates who'll prick that bubble so fast. Yeah. 
And my ex-wife, Jackie Weaver, who played a politician in Secret <laughs> City, she will prick it so fast, you wouldn't believe it. And what happens when you get pulled into the area? There's a lot of discussion about what's happening in a potential hung parliament and the negatives for that for the Australian economy. How, how do you get involved in the economy and the budget and, and, and that side of politics? Well, I mean, you, you hope you make the right decision. Yeah. I, I'll take it issue by issue. People say, oh, do, you, do you prefer Turnbull to Shortland? I say, look, whoever gets in there, who's been voted in by the Australian people and is neck and neck, we'll take it issue by issue. I mean, I'm not a Labor person. I'm not a Liberal person. So uh, I'll just be Darren Hinch and push the issues I want. Um, and I think I'm probably... Apart from being one of the oldest politicians, I'm probably the first one that's had a transplant. And so I'll be pushing organ organ donations. And the best, I mean, people say every vote's sacred. The best thing happened to the weekend, I just voted for the first time in my life at, at Albert Park. I got a text message from a woman saying, Darren, I voted for you. I'm very proud of you. And her name was Linda Gardner. And she is the mother of my organ donor. Wow. Oh, wow. And I got tears in my eyes. I said, yeah. I came, I recall, I said, I came within two weeks of dying. And if wow. it wasn't for her family's decision to give me his liver, I wouldn't be here. That's, oh, a, that's, great, that's, that's a great that's story. That's great. Hey, uh, we spoke to Spearsy before, who's the, the guru, obviously. Yes, he is. And, he, uh, and I asked him the same. I'll ask you the same. When you get a situation like this, would you be in favour of all, of all of us going back to the polls to make it absolutely certain one way or the other? No. No. What did he say? Well, he said that it could actually. He, well, he said, he said it, it could, could happen. He said it could be a possibility that it could happen. It could happen, but no, you don't want to go to the polls. Because there's so many people, and it doesn't matter what, and it's all around the world, and we're, we're obviously the UK is going through it at the moment. But there's so many people that just don't vote because they think their one vote won't make the no, difference. But yet. You, but you've hit on something though about around the world at the moment, and it's it's Brexit. It's yep. Trumpism. Yes. It's, it's Bernie Sanders, the socialist, who pushed Hillary Clinton far further than they ever dreamed. There's a feeling, and you're not old enough, but it was the Peter Finch movie, I'm mad as network. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. And out there in Australia, that feeling is shared of we're disillusioned with the major parties. We don't believe them. It's all poly speak. Most of the campaign, if you your eyes glazed over, Shorten and yep. Turnbull just, it was just words, you know. I remember during their first debate tweeting saying, no JFK or Barack Obama here, is there? There's mm. no fire in their bellies. I, I thought Malcolm Turnbull's acceptance speech was a disgrace. Well, the country is crying out for a leader, Darren. That's, uh, we want a leader. Yeah. Well, they do. They want strong leadership. No, we, want, we want stability. Well, that's true, too. That's what we want. But, but, I mean, uh, Obama's met five different prime ministers in, in his time. Yeah, we are a bit Italian there, aren't we? Yeah, <laughs> we are. My <laughs> word, we are. Times. I've had a, an incident in recent times where the MCC has said to me, Darren, and there is a link here, you can no longer wear thongs when you're coming to work mm. uh, in the MCC. They now, told him this. Well, no, no. We, we can wear them in here. <laughs> but I'm concerned about you. You, uh, you often, as I see you around the town uh, in the jeans, are, well, are I, jeans, I can, jeans. can no. you wear those in no, I've got Right. No, no, Tom the tailor has to come visit me. I've got to get <laughs> Tom, the tailor's going to come and see me. I get some suits and also uh, have to buy some ties. If you could look back when you finish your time as a senator, somewhere down the track, and people would say Darren Hinch did this, what what would it be? Well, people have asked us this in trivial pursuit things. Ask you what do you want on your tombstone? Yep. Right. And I had two words, and it wasn't that's life. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, that which would be appropriate. <laughs> I had two words, and they were he tried. Right. And if I can. Fin finished my life with I need, the magic number is 2,190. That's the number of days of six years in the Senate. Now, right. if I get in, I'll only get three years. I'll be at the bottom half. Uh, but if I can't achieve something in those three years and then get another six, uh, then I'll, there'll be. But nine, if I get nine years in Canberra, it'll end a career, a career which has been, I've had, a, I've had an amazing life. And every day I've got now is a bonus because I was meant to be dead. I mean, I, I looked like Rock Hudson four days before he died of yeah. AIDS. You know, I was mm. not in good shape. And so every day is, 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 is a gift for me. Does that change and, your perspective? 
completely or not? No, not a, not completely. Because I, I just said I was very f- pragmatic about it. I'm an atheist, so I said, yeah, if I die, I die. I've done my best. I'll keep working. I worked until the night before I got my transplant, and got and I want to get back to work, but they put me in house arrest instead. Um, <laughs> and but I it just I do I don't dwell on it and, and get mushy about it. But I do know that I am lucky to have. I've had this on Wednesday. Um, uh, it'll be five years of extra life when I should have carked it. I mean, my, I, mm. when I saw my pathologist, I've, I've actually held my old liver in my hand. Would not many people have done that. Yeah. And I, my pathologist, I, he, I looked at it and I said to him, "Do you see many as bad as this?" He said, "Usually at autopsies." <laughs> and that's when I said, "Gee, how long do I have?" He said, "Now I've got it out and had a good look at it." He's very matter of fact. He said, yeah, "I reckon about two weeks." Right. Wow. And that's how close Incredible. it came. So mm. anyway, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to combine Gough Whitlam and, uh, and Don Chip and I'm going to combine their slogans and say, it's time to keep the bastards honest. Love it, Darren. Like thanks it. for coming in and having a chat. Great to see you thanks, fit guys. and healthy. Best of luck yeah. in the Senate. I, I only Doodle came in to see Sarah. Well, yeah, I didn't know I was talking to you guys. Oh, I know. And when you saw that Eddie wasn't here, I know you were flat about it, but this is all we get today. Thanks for your no, time, actually, he, he, sent me a, he sent me a beautiful text message from, uh, from Malta. I think he was. Fantastic. Oh, okay. That tells you what sort of man he is. We can relax now because we've dealt with Darren Hinch and politics. We've had David Spears on talking about uh, hung parliaments, etc. We've been a little bit on edge, but now we can relax because uh, the great man, Sandra Gilari, comes in. We can just relax. We know we can talk about television, sport. Air is a bit more in our wheelhouse. I wanted to talk about politics. No, 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 no. no, 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 no we've done enough. Just one thing. Yes. Everyone has – I've been completely – lambasted over my lifetime about you guys Italians and governments all these governments that you have <laughs> hey wait a minute at least we have bunga bunga parties with exactly them. you guys have the instability without bunga bunga hey I must say there's so much to talk to you about but before we do uh, have you been paying attention well, as Duck just said one of his favourite shows again tonight uh, at 8.40 in career best form this show we're loving it yep. absolutely loving it and I'm, I'm having a go on the, on the show tonight right. I'm one of the contestants uh, Wayne so it's a great show tonight. Triple M's Jane Kennedy, Ed Cavalion, of course, Tom Gleisner hosting, Cal Wilson, Limo, Ben Shuri from uh, Attica's a, a guest host, as well as um, Jack Chambers, who's in Singing in the Rain. Um, it's just we're absolutely loving, loving doing it this year. When you uh, do this show, you have to pay attention to all shows now, <laughs> and you have to pay attention to everything. I've, I've, Howie's really disappointed because he, what happened, well, he believes that he oh. should have been asked to be I'll, I'll, on your. He's I'll, a Channel Ten. I work at Channel Ten, and I see you, you know. I saw you roll out. <laughs> I saw you roll out Narrowly Meadows a few weeks ago from Fox yeah. Sports to talk about sport, and yeah. I, I don't know what else I need to do, Sando. To be honest, I've been at Ten for eight years now. I sort of cover sport wow. and things like that. Like, what well, do I need to? Do. This is radio, and I can see the, the, the sad eyes. Well, I am. The this, sad is, eyes. this is not a joke conversation, this is, this my is friend. I, this I, is I, what do I need to do? Okay. Well, I did throw up that maybe he's not funny enough. <laughs> Don't listen to that. <laughs> this is, I'm do. applying for a job here, Duck. I've okay, been hilarious Mark. this morning. I, kn- I know a few people on the show. Let me make a few phone okay. calls. All right. Let All me right. make a few phone calls. Uh, your weekend. Your weekend. You came in oh, here and wow. said uh, you and Vito, your 86 year old father, spent yeah. a bit of time together, which is, is a special time. Can I just say, I, I, I'd forgotten. Look, we we had some quality time together. My, my, my father and I watched the Collingwood Carlton game on Saturday night, uh, and then watched the Italy Germany blockbuster at five o'clock. There was a little election in between as well there that was. we were watching. But Getting in the way. They, they were actually uh, quite comparable the games because Carlton were Collingwood they? they were chipping the ball around and playing pretty boring footy, and it was <laughs> just about an ill old draw as well. Well, when you think about it, in terms of the penalty shootout, I reckon that there were that, that there were more shots on goal in the in penalty that, shootout yeah. than there was in the game. And I tell you what, did you did you actually see the Italy shootout? Yeah, there, I did. There were 
I, I, there were more misses than there actually was. Did it go to nine? Nine went attempts? To nine. Re- Travis Cloak could have done better. <laughs> <laughs> it, was a really, it was really great. But can I just say, for, for, for people, that, people out there still have their dads around, or indeed dads who, who've got their kids, it's such quality time to watch sport together. Mm. Sport is such a good thing. They're my greatest memories with my dad. So we spend a lot of time watching with our mates and things. With dads, it's, uh, it's yeah. gold. It's gold. I'm glad you said that. And you also watched the debut of a young man, oh, Jack Silvani. Which is and great. and uh, were you old enough to. You would have seen, obviously, Steve. Steve, I, I grew up being tortured by Steve. Did you ever I, see no, no, not me personally, but following Colin. Serge, and watching, did you ever see. I was. I'm, this is how old I am. I remember as a little kid seeing Serge Silvani play. So it was so wonderful to see the three yep. generations. And they, they've all got the same kind of walk, the oh, gait, the, 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 the bowlet. scary how if, similar that, especially in the long sleeve stand, Toe. Um, Looked like Stephen, didn't he? The, one of the best descriptions I ever heard of Serge Silvani, for those who, those many of you who never saw him play, was that there was a writer called Barry Dickens. He used to write for the Melbourne Times. He used to write about the the Fitzroy. He used to write about the Roy boys, and he talked about how every team should have a good old fashioned wog on their side. <laughs> and uh, and he said Steve Silvani, he's the kind of wog that can kick a wardrobe over a block of flats. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the kind of player he was. Big tough guy in the middle, and he wasn't too tall. But just he did a lot, you know, mm. and he's a premiership player, and it was so great to see Jack out there, and it was just a, a special, special thing. But uh, but yeah, it was a great, great time with Dad, and you know, it, it's also such a ritual to wake up in the middle of the night. I know people have been watching Iceland, see, see what they mean, but it's a great thing to do to wake up at five o'clock in the morning, get someone to make some, you know, you know, you're, you're making coffee with your dad, bit of toast, yep. beautiful, beautiful ritual. Good stuff. You stick around if you don't mind. I'm oh, just yeah. working on my resume. I'm getting a showreel to you in the break. <laughs> stick around. We need to talk a bit more about football uh, and maybe a relationship you've had with the Italian football side going back in the past as well, Ooh. which I've heard a little rumour about. <laughs> Duck, some people just need one name, Serena, Tiger, uh, Lionel and Santo and Santo oh, is with us now we don't even need to bother yeah. with a surname uh, have it's you been paying attention 8.40pm tonight as always a, a without, brilliant without, show without Mark Howard tonight no not without tonight. but not tonight. but have you got some exciting news Yay. or not no <laughs> <laughs> hey uh, we were talking about the uh, the quarter final between the Italians and the Germans and you were watching it with your 86 year old father Vito I don't like to do this to you but this is the final moments of the game 5-5 five, five. Matteo Damian and Neuer saves advantage Germany again well this is hero time Jonas Hector of Cologne with the chance to put Germany into the semi-final. Bertrand can't look, he's facing his own fans on the halfway line. And he scores! Just got it beyond Gigi Buffon! Who dived right over the top of it. It takes me all the way back to Roberto Baggio and the biggest penalty miss of all time in a World Cup final. Incredible. In 1994 in the United States, blasted it over yeah. the... And I saw one of the most interesting things at the 1998 World Cup. I went to France to see that. Italy played uh, Italy played France in a quarterfinal, went to penalty shootout. And can you believe this? Six of the Italian players went up to the coach saying, I don't want to take the penalty. <laughs> they said, I don't want to take... And you know what? Roberto Baggio walked straight up, took the first penalty, put it away. Bang. You've yeah. got a, a long-standing relationship. I'm going to put you on the spot here. You've got a long-standing relationship with the Italian football team. You've, you've played various <laughs> roles with the Italian football team, I, I, I believe. How does that come about? I know where this is going, mm. Wayne. I know. Yeah. This goes back to... Italy won the World Cup in 1982, and I just started at university there. 
And Mick Malloy makes me tell this story so many times. <laughs> he just wants to keep hearing it. You know, don't you, Rosie? He keeps. I love it. You. Please continue. I was walking to my Auntie Maria, Auntie Rosa's place. They live in Park Street in West Brunswick. So I was going from the university to pick up some pizzas. They used to make pizza for me every Thursday. And I walked past Princess Park, Park Royal, you know, the motor lodge. Yes, so, yes. Yeah, I don't know what it's called now. Uh, and there was all these uh, uh, Channel 9, Channel 10 bands, all this kind of stuff. I thought, oh, something's going on in there. And then I realized, hang on, the Juventus team is here. Juventus had come out here. They contained basically every player that, that, what, that was a World Cup player in 1982. Uh, so they were there. It was the year after. Did I say what year did I? It was 1983. Uh, yep. So I've walked in, press conference about to start. All the great players are there. They're just they're, they're all the great players. The coach is there conducting the whole thing. And the, the one of the uh, Drew Morford actually Drew. And I've got some footage of this as well. Drew, Drew Morford actually <laughs> says, "Who's your translator?" And and Trapattoni, the coach who's still around, says, "I no need no translator. I speak the English. I answer all of the questions." <laughs> Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, good luck, mate. Yeah. And uh, so the first question was, so how do you reckon Juventus will go? Do you think you'll go well against the uh, teams this year? You know, how, how do you fancy it? And he's looking at me, oh, no idea. So I put my hand up. I said, I translated. I said, what he's doing, what he's asking is blah, blah, blah. So he just grabbed me. I sat up at the desk with all the players. I became their translator for the next 10 days. Oh. I traveled Australia with Juventus wow, as their story. translator. And the thing is... Well, you th you think, oh, that's pretty. That's a that's, yeah. a that's a classy job to do. Translate. That wasn't my job. My job basically was to hang on to the players' wedding rings <laughs> for the two for the two weeks that they were here. Uh, I had to label them all so that. They <laughs> and I had to. And this was the day before mobile phones. It was uh, the amount of times I picked up the phone saying, um, "No, I I'm sorry, Mrs. Blah blah blah. Yeah. Your 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 husband is in a team meeting at the moment." <laughs> That was my job uh, for 10 uh, days. More team uh, meetings in the current uh, AFL football uh, clubs, were they? That God. is funny. <laughs> Absolutely funny. fantastic. You, you've obviously got a, a big passion for the game of football. And we were just talking about the fact that uh, Lionel Messi, the great Argentinian, after they uh, lost to Chile in the Copa America, said, that's it for me. I'm retiring from international football, and I think it was 120,000 uh, Portenians, which is what you call it if you're from Buenos Aires, mm. came out in the streets on the weekend to say, we need you, Lionel, we need you. I call it, well, he, after he retired, I was calling it Megxit. That was the, that was the, <laughs> and he absolutely, he missed a penalty. That, that's, let's put it in perspective. And you know what? I reckon he played so many games this year and has played so many games over the course of the last 10 seasons. By the time he put together all the, La Liga stuff in Spain, yeah. all the Champions, Champions League stuff. League. I reckon he had just had a gutful and just couldn't cope with it and said, I'm walking away. There is no way, None. I reckon. There is, he no. will be playing at the World next Cup. World Cup. Because yep. the, the, the other thing too is, Wayne, that th they're calling him the greatest, but everyone in, in the round ball game says, you cannot be the greatest until you, you win, win the tournament. Do you, do you think he's the greatest? See, uh, uh, there's, there, that's slightly flawed thinking, isn't it? Because if you, if you can be a great player on a team that will never make it to the World Cup and you still have the right. But, but when you are talking about the Pelés and the Maradonas, they did do it on the bigger stage. He's had the chance at the, yeah. uh, on the on bigger the, stage yeah. and hasn't quite delivered. So I, I do subscribe to that in his particular case. Yeah. Okay. And you still see with Ronaldo, who I think uh, Portugal play Wales in yes. the semi-final of Euro, the first semi-final. You can just see he comes onto the pitch 
almost with a different attitude because he knows people say you might be a three-time Ballon d'Or winner, etc. Mm. You haven't won a major title with your country, and you almost see that expectation with him. We, we were talking the other day. I don't know if you saw it, Santo. A gentleman went to interview him, and he grabbed the microphone and threw, threw it into it in a water. lake. Yeah, no, I saw which that. Was extra- I that. You can see that. the pressure of that. You haven't won a major title for your country on yes. his shoulders. It's like a premiership player. At I, thought, I thought that was great, by the way. I, 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 I loved it. Imagine an Aussie doing that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much it blew up overseas no, no. for, for, for no, him doing that. it wasn't a big that. thing. People thought it was good, good on him, though. No, yeah. but, if an, but if an Australian, if an Aussie rules player, a rugby player did that, mm. it would be front page for the next six weeks. Well, Campbell Brown, Mal's father, did it years he, ago yes, in Perth when in he the snapped the microphone <laughs> <up> <laughs> and, in the and bin. put it in the bin. Santo, we appreciate you coming in. Have you been paying attention tonight at 8.40? Wonderful to have you in here. Duck, we're done.